Amen. God is good. Amen. I have had the, the opportunity uh, to travel a few times to Southeast Asia and uh, several times to Eastern Europe on mission trips and to Canada, and I can tell you we certainly live in the freest country in the world. But I will also tell you this, I've never experienced a freedom like the freedom that I have in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That note to know that I am covered by the blood of Jesus, to know that I am free in Him is the greatest freedom that I've experienced, and I bet that's the same for you guys. Amen? Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 14, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out, or mobile device, you can scroll to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 15 through 24 this morning. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will. Because I live, you will live too. And on that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from my father who sent me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts and lives in this place, that we would hear what you would have us to hear, that it would be your words, not mine. Hide me behind your cross this morning. Move in a mighty way so that we would leave different than the way we came in. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus in John chapter 14 is giving his farewell address to his disciples. It stretches from about John 14 through John 17. It's Thursday night of Passion Week. Jesus has already entered into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. He's already had the the, the Lord's Supper and he's washed the disciples' feet. And now it's Thursday night of Passion Week and he has some things that he wants to tell his disciples. You see, the next day, Jesus will go to the cross and be crucified for the sins of the world. The disciples had left their jobs, had left their homes to follow Jesus for three years. And now they're afraid. They're scared. Why are they scared? Jesus has clearly communicated that he is leaving. And they're terrified. Where is the promised kingdom? Where is the covenant blessing promised to Abraham and David? They didn't fully understand 
what was about to happen, and it caused them to be afraid. Jesus in John chapter 7, verses 33 and 34, begins telling them that he's leaving. Then Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time, and then I'm going away to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Jesus, a chapter later, is speaking to the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And he says this, and the disciples would have been with him. He says, I'm going away. You will look for me, and you will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you cannot come. Several chapters later in John 13, Jesus is with his disciples and he addresses them as little children or children in your translations. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. And Simon Peter actually presses in on Jesus and says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. All the disciples could hear of Jesus is that he was going away, that he was leaving, and they were terrified because of this. This is why Jesus would actually start John chapter 14 the way that he does, where he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And in verse 27, he would say something similar. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Jesus was on his way to the cross. But he doesn't leave his disciples without hope for tomorrow. What comfort does he offer his disciples? What is it that Jesus wants his disciples to know? Look with me in verse 15. Here's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now rewind back to Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is uh, getting ready to call his disciples. He goes to north of the Sea of Galilee to the what they call the Triangle. It was the place where rabbis would go and they would call their disciples. It was the area of Bethsaida and Chorazin and, and Capernaum. And he would go to this area and he would call his disciples and he would say, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what does the word tell us? The word tells us that they immediately left their nets and left their families and they became disciples of Jesus. Well, fast forward, when we read, if you love me, you will keep my commands, it's actually written in the present active tense in the Greek. And so what it literally is saying is if you continue keeping my commands, if you continue to love me, you will receive a great blessing. And what we are going to see in the verses to follow is the triune God on full display working to bring redemption to the people of God. And their response ought to be to love him and to obey him. So what is it that he is offering them? He is offering them hope for tomorrow. What is this hope? First of all, it's this. They will receive the promised Holy Spirit. They will receive the promised Holy Spirit. Read with me in verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The word used here by Jesus in verse 16 is the word paraclete, which means advocate. It's courtroom language. An advocate is one who speaks on behalf of another or who intercedes on behalf of another or who helps in be on behalf of another. You see, Jesus was going to be with the Father. He was going to the Father to advocate for you and I before the Father. But he doesn't leave without an advocate being here on earth. And so therefore he is going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them. Why did the disciples need an advocate? 
Why did they need an advocate? First, it was promised. It was promised. You and I have, as a church, we've been going through a sermon series entitled Movement, and we've seen the Spirit of God leading the people of God. We've seen the Spirit of God behind the people of God, defending the people of God. We've seen the Spirit protect, surround the people of God. We've seen the Spirit on leaders and on groups of people and on individuals all throughout the Old Testament. But then we get to Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, and we read this. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. You see, when the spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. You and I are sinners. The disciples were sinners. But when we embrace Christ, when we turn from our sins and embrace Christ, what we get is a heart of flesh. What we get is a new heart, a new spirit living within us. And that spirit will move us towards obedience, according to Ezekiel 36. So the Holy Spirit was promised to come. But notice, secondly, why did the disciples need an advocate? Because there is an accuser. There is one who has come against the church. There is one who has come against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he even says in verse 30 of chapter 14... I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. You see, Satan does not want the kingdom of God advanced. He wants the disciples to remain in their fear. He wants the disciples to remain in their sorrow, to remain in their uncertainty, and to go away and to never speak again of Jesus. But what does Jesus say in verse 30? He has what? No power over me. Can I tell you, the great enemy of the church has no power over the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He has no power over the kingdom of God. And guess what? If Satan has no power over Jesus, and you and I have the spirit of Jesus in us, Satan has no power over us either. What hope he was given to the disciples in their moment of need, in their moment of fear. He's saying, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. The Holy Spirit will be your defense, your defender. When we are justified by Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes our defender. Oh, the love of God for his people. Jesus is on his way to the Father to advocate for you and I, but he is leaving his Holy Spirit to be with us forever. So who is this Holy Spirit? Look at verse 17. He tells us he is the spirit of what? Truth. He is the spirit of truth. Simply looking at our world today, truth is something that is very distorted. Wouldn't you say? Words are being redefined. Uh, Words don't mean the same 10 minutes ago, much less 25 years ago. It's crazy how fast things are changing. Biology is being redefined. Everything seems to be based on subjectivity and feelings. Matter of fact, we live in a culture that says, oh, it's about your truth. It's about your truth. And what's your truth? Well, what about God's truth? Here's the reality. The reality is apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot know God's truth. Apart from the Spirit of God, we cannot know God's truth. Here's what he says in verse 17. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. Who is the world here? The world are those who are in rebellion against God. First of all, they're the unbelievers, those who just don't believe And then there are those who are anti-Christian, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day who were militant against Jesus, who wanted to stomp out Christianity. 
They're unable to accept. They cannot accept. They cannot see. Why? Because the ruler of this world has blinded their eyes. The word tells us. The New Testament will tell us later. They cannot see. They cannot accept. I like how my friend Craig Bailey said, we had lunch and we're talking about this passage. I like how he said this. He says, apart from the Holy Spirit, you and I are truth manufacturers. We manufacture what we think the truth ought to be. And in that, we become Proverbs 14, 12 people. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. It may seem right in the moment, but the end will lead you to death. As I read John 14, I can't help but to think that there is a fulfillment of the psalmist's words in Psalm 25, 4 and 5 being fulfilled. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and I wait for you all day long. See, John 16, 13, Jesus would tell us when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You see, you're caught up in uncertainty right now, but the spirit will guide you into all truth. So by contrast, the disciples were the very opposite of the world. The spirit of truth lives, dwells, abides, remains with them because Jesus is with them. Jesus is with them. Jesus said earlier in this, in this section of John, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. So by, by contrast there, by, actually by comparison, if you're with Jesus, you're with the spirit of Jesus because the spirit of Jesus is upon him in the moment. So you don't have the Holy Spirit over here doing his thing. You don't have the son doing his thing. You don't have the father over here doing something over there, right? Here's what we have. We believe in a God who is father, son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, working together in one inseparable operation to bring the work of redemption to his people. That is what we have here. But soon they will know the spirit more intimately. Look at the end of verse 17. But you, the disciples, do know him because he remains with you and will be future in you. They will know the spirit more intimately when he enters their hearts and lives with them forever. The spirit of truth will be the one who advocates for the disciples once Jesus goes to the Father. I love Romans 8, 16 and how it tells us that the spirit bears witness that we are indeed children of God. When Satan, the liar, comes against us and says, you can't be forgiven, you are not in Christ, your identity is not in Christ, the spirit of truth defends us and said, no, 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 you are a child of God. You are sealed in him. He becomes our defender. With all the worry in the disciples' hearts about tomorrow, Jesus is giving them hope of the promised Holy Spirit who will be with them forever. You see, Jesus was only with them for a season, for a time. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, will be with them forever. Isn't that an amazing promise? But notice, secondly, not only will they receive the promised Holy Spirit, but secondly, they will not be abandoned. They will not be abandoned. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Let's stop right there. When a disciple would follow a rabbi in the first century, they would eat with the rabbi. Wherever the rabbi ate, the disciple was there. They would sleep where the rabbi slept. They would learn from him his ways, his interpretation of scripture, the way that he prayed, the way that he taught. 
they would learn what the Hebrews would call their halakha. The word halakha literally means the way to behave or the way of walking. Literally, they would watch the rabbi and see how it is that he lived out what he believed. And as a disciple uh, of a rabbi, they were with them for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until they were just like the teacher or ready to become a teacher with disciples. It was very much like a father-son relationship. As a matter of fact, earlier we read John 13, 33, where Jesus addresses his disciples as what? Little children. So there was a father-son-like relationship between a disciple and a rabbi. And so the disciples had been with Jesus for three years. That's roughly a thousand days for those of you who are interested. Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving. And you can imagine the, the disciples being there and hearing this and being in the moment. It's Thursday night of Passion Week. Wait a minute. Aren't you the one to fulfill the messianic prophecies? Aren't you the one to usher in the kingdom of God? Where are you going? These things are not fulfilled yet. And when, and when they were thinking these things, they were a lot like the people of the day. You see, they thought that Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem, mount up an army, and march into the heart of Rome. But that was not the will of the Father. The will of the Father was Friday, the cross. The will of the Father was Sunday, the resurrection. They felt like Jesus was abandoning them, or at least leaving them as orphans. That's why Jesus would say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. It gets so bad that the disciples will eventually stop asking Jesus questions. Look at John 16, verses 5 and 6. They're going to stop asking Jesus questions. This is how bad it's going to get. But now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Sorrow has filled this, has captured their hearts. But yet Jesus doesn't leave them in that sorrow. He gives them again yet another hope for tomorrow. He says, I am coming to you. The end of verse 18, I am coming to you. Many scholars agree that when Jesus says, I am coming to you, he's referring to his resurrection. It's personal. I am coming. Jesus is not going to abandon his disciples. He is going to come back to them. Even after his ascension, Acts 2 is coming where the Spirit will dwell with them and in them forever. What a promise he is giving to them. You see, the disciples failed to fully understand that Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus will indeed usher in the kingdom of God. But the disciples couldn't see it in the moment. They were afraid. They were fearful. Sorrow had filled their hearts. But yet God, God will use these disciples to change the world for the kingdom of God, for his kingdom. And Jesus would even remind the disciples of this in Matthew 28, 20, where he says, I'm going to be with you forever, even until the end of the age, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much fear you have to deal with, no matter how much doubt you struggle with, no matter how much stress comes into your life, I will be with you forever. I will remain with you. I will not abandon you. So he's going to send them the promised Holy Spirit. They will not be abandoned. But notice thirdly, they will have resurrected life. They will have resurrected life. Look at verse 19. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. After his death, burial, and resurrection, the world, those who are in rebellion against God, will not see him. 
The only thing the world's going to be left with is an empty tomb and a question mark. What happened to Jesus? But the disciples will know what happened to Jesus because he's going to reveal himself to them. And because he lives, guess what? They live. Because he lives, they will live. Why is this important in the moment? Because part of the disciples' fear is for their own life. Well, if you go away, Jesus, what's going to happen to us? Peter is even predicted that he's going to even deny even knowing Jesus. Jesus said, for the rest of you disciples, you're going to go into hiding. In John 16, 32, here's what he tells them. Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Christ is offering them hope for tomorrow. Look at verse 20. On that day you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. That is the triune God at work on our behalf, on behalf of the disciples and future believers. I can't help but to think as I read John 14 that when Bill Gaither wrote the great hymn, Because He Lives, that he was reading right here. Because he lives, I can face what? Tomorrow, because he lives, all what? Fear is gone. Jesus will put his resurrected life in them, and there will be no room for fear. There will be no room for doubt. There will be no room for all of this stress that's going on in their lives because they will have resurrected life in them. This was the hope that they needed in the moment, and Christ was faithful to give it to them. Faithful. Don't let your heart be troubled, my disciples. You will have my resurrected life soon. Oh, what hope. Notice finally, he tells them, if you truly love me, keep my word. The bookends of this passage call for the disciples to obey Christ's commands and to keep his word. Look at, again at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands Verse 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And I love verse 23. If you don't get anything, get this in verse 23. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That is the will of God. That is what he is calling. This is the move of God right here to make our hearts his home. No longer will he dwell in the temple. No longer will he dwell in man-made structures, but he will dwell with his people in us. Ephesians 2 tells us that we, the church, are the very dwelling of God so that when you leave this place, when you go to your jobs, when you go to your homes, your neighborhoods, the grocery store, wherever it is that you're going to go, you are carrying with you the very presence of Almighty God. And you have within you the very hope that this world needs. And here's the question. Are we going to be faithful to give them the gospel? Are we going to be faithful to, to call them to repent of sin and to trust in one who has provided for their future? Who's provided for their hope. Ultimately, if we truly love him, we'll keep his word. And in case Jesus isn't clear enough, look at verse 24. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. 
You and I are not going to stumble into righteousness. You and I are not going to stumble into holiness. We're not going to wake up one day and just be an amazing, mature believer. No. If we love him, we're going to keep his word. We're going to study his word. We're going to spend time with him in relationship. For the disciples, the call here is not to doubt, but to trust. Trust in Christ's words. Obey him. Keep his word. Every time doubt and fear enters our minds, how, how many of you struggle sometimes with doubt and fear? All right, yeah, we struggle with doubt. And every time doubt and fear enters our minds, you and I have an opportunity. You know what that opportunity is? It's to take courage and trust in the one who never fails. He never fails. Do you know that Jesus never once failed his disciples? Not once. He loved them. He taught them. He was with them. He cared for them. He never, ever failed. And if he did that for the disciples, guess what? He will do that for you and I. He will never, ever fail us. Ever. And I, I know that we've experienced relationships in this world where they've, they've been broken. People have perhaps wronged you in some way and you put your trust in another and they failed you. Can I tell you that Jesus will never do that? He will never fail you. He will be a perfect companion. He will be a perfect savior. He'll be a perfect Lord. These are the words that he's leaving his disciples. That they will receive the promised Holy Spirit. He's not going to abandon them. God cares too much for his will and He's going to provide for them. He's not going to abandon them. They will have his resurrected life. But ultimately, if they truly love him, keep his word. So what, is it, what does this mean for us today? In the most difficult, fearful, stressful, sorrowful time in the disciples' lives, Jesus was offering comfort. Jesus was offering encouragement. Jesus was offering truth. He offered them hope for tomorrow. Why? Because he loved them. Do you know that you're loved by God this morning? And we live in a, a world that, man, sometimes there's love, sometimes there's not. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know if you can be loved. Can I tell you that God loves us this morning? You were loved by him this morning? Maybe you're in this room and you're far from God. You, you started off right. You gave your life to Christ. And somewhere along the way, you let your sin carry you away. Somewhere along the way, you stopped reading God's word and you stopped praying. Can I tell you his arms are open wide this morning? And he's saying, come home this morning. You don't have to live in your sorrow. You don't have to live in your fear. You don't have to live in your shame. Christ took your shame on the cross. You can live in his freedom today. You don't have to live in doubt. You can trust. And here's the reality. If what Jesus said in John 14 is, was the disciples' hope for tomorrow, it's you and I's hope for today. It's our hope for right now. Today is the day of salvation for you. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, will you respond to the movement of God? His love for you. Will you respond to him this morning by repenting of your sins, by turning to him for salvation? He wants to make his home your heart this morning. Will you say yes to him? And for the believer, be encouraged. Remember 
you and I have received the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Draw, pushing us to obey. Pushing us towards God's truth. We have not been abandoned by him. He is with us even now, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how good it gets. God is with us all of the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He will not leave us. That is his promise. We will have, we have resurrected hearts, but we will soon have resurrected bodies. How many of you long for the resurrection? Amen. We long for the day there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. I can't wait for the resurrection. But we too must obey in the meantime. We must keep his word if we truly love him. You know, I read earlier in John 16, 5 and 6, where the disciples had stopped asking questions and they had allowed sorrow to fill their hearts. And I love how Jesus tackles that sorrow in John 16, 20 through 22. And I'm going to end here. Here's what he says. Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. But you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Aren't you glad that the joy that Christ has given, that no one can take it away? That is the freedom that you and I have in him. That is the hope that dwells inside of us. And that is the hope that you and I ought to carry into the world as we leave this place today. Jesus was giving the disciples hope for tomorrow. And because of the work of the triune God, they received that hope and changed the world for Christ. Now, you and I have the same opportunity to go and share the hope for today. Let's pray together.